Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where you'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. Also, make sure to donate to Extra Life. We've got a link down below in the description, or you can even join the Indie Game Business Extra Life team. That link is down in the description as well. Here we go, Indie Game Business. Indie Game Business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all their speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. Hey everybody. Welcome back to Indie Game Business. We have with us Chell Wong, award-winning composer, freelancer. And, you know, we're going to be talking about how you freelance and, and network in the industry to basically make a career and make a living without working for somebody else. So, Chell, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So, we always start in the same place. Tell us how you got into the industry and then walk us through your career up to this point. So I suppose I kind of like fell into this industry sort of by accident. I was in education and well, specifically music education. And then I tried to not pivot so much as get more time in as a gen ed person. And through education, I just burned out. It was it's really rough. It was really difficult. Um, and I ended up seeing someone in a Discord that was for a game that I played. And these were regular members. And they were saying, hey, we're working on a game ourselves. And I ended up joining that Discord just to kind of like support their group. And at some point, they're like, we're looking for another programmer and also someone to do music and sound effects. At the time, I was still in the I was still in the program that I was doing for education. And I was like, hey, I've never written music like that much music before, but like, I can give it a shot. And they're like, sure, go for it. And so then I wrote a song for them and they loved it. And I wrote another and I wrote another. And at some point I came across um, my friend now, but I came across Akash the Cars YouTube channel about freelancing and game audio. And I'm basically like, what do I have to lose? I was thinking about maybe going to grad school for bass drum performance, which I'm like pretty good at, but it's it's really competitive. And I, I don't think I had what it takes. And so I was like, well, I can either try and make a video game career work or I can Bumble about trying to figure something else out. And I figure what I had to lose. So that's how I kind of got started. Um, 
And then I was just networking in person for a long time back when we could. Um, so I, I'm, I'm from Boston. There is a lot of meetups in Boston. There's like five big ones and, and many other ones that I don't quite frequent as much. But I would go to these meetups um, every month, about five to six of them each month. And I kept going and I found a project that I started working on. And then I ended up meeting uh, Gwen Frey, who, well, now now she's Gwen Bond. Um, and she was a former AAA developer who worked on Bioshock Infinite, uh, co-founded her own studio at the Molasses Flood, and then would later form her own studio called Chump Squad, which was for her little indie puzzle game called Kine. And I met her back when Kine was still kind of relatively early in development. And I suppose um, she took a chance on me. And I'm still really, really thankful for her that she did. Uh, and through that, I, I worked my <laughs> my butt off and I won an award for it, which is like, whoa, that's crazy. And then I got nominated by the Game Audio Network Guild for best sound design in a social or casual game. And I was up against like Hearthstone and Call of Duty Mobile and other like much bigger indie games than me. So that that was that was pretty great. And and since then, I've been I've been freelancing on many other games. Um, I was also working on a mobile game studio at um, at some point last year. Um, and I just I keep trucking along. I guess that's where I am now. How in the hell are Hearthstone and Call of Duty Mobile? They're social and casual games. It's I've I had a discussion with a friend at some point where it it wasn't it's more by genre or like than there there's an indie section, there's a triple A section, and then there was a section that was sound design for a social and casual game and and there's triple A levels like Blizzard is triple A, Activision's triple A. Um, and I think Capybara Games and maybe that game company were also nominated and they're much bigger indie studios. And then it was just me. I didn't expect to win, but I, I was like very like, wow, that's that's a lineup. That, it, it's impressive. It always goes back to the whole thing that, that we see in the industry all the time. It's like, what is indie? You know, is, is Blizzard saying, OK, well, because, you know, we have like 12 people working on this. It's an indie game. It's like, no, that anyway, neither here there. Congratulations, you know, for, for doing that. And it's like I met Gwen through the AT&T unlocked, you know, competition that, that she won. So I'm I, I know her level of expertise and dedication and just talent, basically, because it was, you know, what, what she does is very, very good. So, you know, you touched on you got started through you know, basically networking at all of these events in Boston, you know, so that shit ain't happening, you know, for the last year. So how has, how have things changed? You know, what, how do you go and network now, you know, to, to replace that, that void? Because I mean, that's, as, as a freelancer, that's a very, very big part of your business development, basically. So um, I'm fortunate to uh, I'm fortunate enough to be from Boston, which has like a really great scene, and there's a lot of stuff going on there. I know that I have like friends who are not American, some of whom are from like Central and, and South America. Um, I know people now in Australia, uh, and of course, like back when we could go places, a lot of times people would gather at really big places like GDC. Um, I also happen to be near PAX East. So that that's also nice that people would come like to me and like, haha, I don't have to find lodging somewhere. Um, 
But of course, that's not really an option now. I, I know that a lot of people have been and just continue to network through social media, which is difficult. It's difficult to do well and without coming across sleazy. Um, part of it is just a matter of like promoting your ass off, um, constantly sharing your work. I definitely don't. I take social media kind of lightly or I feel like I if I couldn't be myself online, uh, I would die, essentially. Um, I So I, I definitely still have a lot of professional stuff, but I also just am a person online and I and I keep in touch with a lot of friends that way. I meet new people through Twitter primarily. Um, that's one way that I connect with people. Um, lately, I got really lucky that um, I saw um, someone post about the Game Industry Gathering, which is this really great networking event. Um, and I do that all the time. I'm literally always there. Um, I was described as a geographic landmark. Um, and so that's that's kind of like the biggest way that I, I meet new people now where I like I do this every week and I do it for many, many hours and I just really enjoy it. But I also meet many people and some of whom are in like AAA and people are publishers and, and writers and journalists and content creators and of course, other audio people. And it's just like every aspect of game development, I've met people from it through that. Um, and even after, uh, besides that, there's also like, because there's not really in-person stuff. There's, everything's now online. Um, I actually burned myself out a little bit trying to do basically every online event that I, I could like get my, just find the time for. And it became even too much for me. And that, that's saying something because yeah, that's something. <laughs> I mean, look, I run a digital event for the last two years. I know it is. It's, it's like there's so many of them. It is easy to get burned out on them. I mean, there's no, trust me, that, that that's all of us. That's not just you. You know, a lot of people, and, and especially in our industry, you know, they're not necessarily comfortable getting out there and doing, you know, sometimes even video calls. You know, th there are wonderfully talented folks in the industry that I have worked with for a very, very long time who I have never once heard speak or much less seen on video. You know, it's not easy for everybody to get out there and go network in person or it's terrifying. You know. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, how do you, how do you overcome that? How do you cope with that? How do you? I am a huge extrovert myself, so it's definitely easier for me, but I won't pretend that it's not scary. Like, especially in the very beginning, um, when I first started, I didn't know anybody. I, yeah, like I didn't know anybody. And now I've, I've gotten to the point where like, I had people from like my old life and now they've come to me and they're like, oh, I was thinking about maybe trying to get into games. And so like, now I'm like a person that people get through, but I, I didn't have anyone myself. And I just knew that there were meetups, uh, at meetup.com. And I figured, Hey, um, one, one piece of advice I know is like, reach out to the organizers and be like, hi, I'm going to attend my first event. And like, thanks for organizing. And and you can find them and introduce yourself to them and then they can help you meet other people. Um, also, the biggest thing for, for me nowadays is like compared to networking of old, um, I used to go to like really stodgy networking events for like through my alumni event stuff. And it was just it was boring and it was miserable and the food there was great, but I, I didn't have really any interest to talk to people. And nowadays I just like, did you talk about Smash Bros? Like, huh? And then, like, you just join a conversation. Because everyone's just a huge nerd. I love video games. I play 
basically almost any genre under the sun, I can connect to people really easily over this stuff. And of course, like now, now it's easier to talk about like work stuff and industry stuff. But frankly, I just my favorite conversations are about stuff that aren't even work related. Like I once talked to people for like an hour about pizza. It's just you just talk about stuff. And and because it's just I find people are really easy to relate to in the industry. You it, it's a lot more approachable. And so, like, I would go to these events and then the next time I'd go, I'd see people that I met last time. I'd say hi to them. I meet someone new and then it just accumulates over time. And now I feel like uh, I think it's pretty safe to say I'm two degrees separated from anyone in like the greater Boston area. Like we always joke that once you've been doing this for at least five years, much less 10, 15, 20, you're pretty much two degrees separated from everybody else in the entire industry. You know, so it it gets you get out there a lot quicker. And so, you know, which brings up a, an, another good question. You're, you're right. I mean, whether you're talking about pizza or what you actually do for a living or Smash Brothers, this industry is all about building relationships because at the end of the day, that's how shit gets done. You know, you know, people mm -hmm. reach out to people that they know, that they trust, and, and they go from there. And that's you're never harming yourself, you know, from a business standpoint, if you're going out there and networking and just talking, unless you're being, you know, a complete bigoted asshole and nobody wants <laughs> to talk to you, then you got a problem. And there's a skeevy way to network too. Yes, exactly. How how do you walk that line? from being, you know, completely just relaxed in yourself. And I'm not saying you're a, a, a skeezy, bigoted person. I'm just saying, how do you walk that line between being genuine and being professional? I think um, it's a matter of kind of figuring out like the energy of like what the event is. Um, like say there's an a, official meetup and then like later, a lot of people go to the bar. The hanging out at the bar afterwards is going to be a lot more relaxed. Um, just in general, like the vibe is going to be chiller. Um, I think the first thing, first and foremost thing is like not to be 100% of a shill. I, I know that I, at some point I definitely did that. Like everyone, everyone like makes mistakes and it, it happens. But um, I, I, the way I think of it is like when you're networking, um, it's, it's a lot like, dating where it like I, I i think of it like if you see someone at a bar and they're trying to pick up literally everyone there in hopes of going home with someone they're <laughs> they're not going to succeed with anyone um wait till 2 a.m wait till that don't y'all know how this works you gotta wait till the end that's the <laughs> oh i've had some fascinating conversations at 2 a.m late at night with people about just stuff but um the way i see it is that i am i'm a pretty open and casual person about stuff i'm a pretty open book and I, I connect with people. If things start to go in a way where it's like, oh, like we might need someone, then I have like I kind of code switch into like a into like suit mode where I'm like, oh, and then I will like talk to them about like my like my freelancing and like my rates and blah blah blah. And I'm like, oh, let's let's talk about this like later online over email, and then you exchange business cards or whatever and stuff like that. But it's I think the first things first is like. I don't meet people. I, I meet I meet a lot of people, but I don't expect to work with anyone. I just meet people and make friends. And then a lot of times that might lead to opportunities. But 
very very it's like very rare does like that i meet someone out the gates and then they're like oh they might they might be someone that i want to work with or like they might want to work with me is is the bigger thing i just i don't assume that anyone that, that anyone wants to work with me but if they do then i switch into like suit mode and that's a very good way you know that that's one of the things that i've learned over the years it's like you don't have to come into a situation and be like yeah i'm jay i'm a business consultant we help developers find publishers and tech companies reach out to the 4,000 people. I don't introduce myself with an elevator pitch, but you're, I mean, if this, that's the way the industry is. If you, if you connect with people, then the rest of the shit will take care of itself. You know, they're going to figure out what you do. It's, it's not hard. Uh, we have, we have a question coming in immediately from, uh, from, you know, our, our regular listener div. Uh, how do you network when you generally hate people? He's um, asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kappa. I, well, I don't generally hate people, so I don't know if I have the best advice. I, I am kind of an optimist in where I, I try to see the best in people. I think it's it's important to try and find people that you can relate with. Um, and again, in the industry, I feel like there's a lot of people who are, they're pretty down to earth and they're really passionate about what they do, especially in like the indie scene where it's like really grounded. Um, I would not recommend networking over Facebook. I find that Facebook groups are the worst. God, I hate I hate the I Facebook do. groups for Facebook. indie game development or just game development in general. But um, that's kind of that's kind of my recommendation. And also, like, I think you'll naturally just meet people through like if you have an online presence. Um, I think naturally people will you'll you'll eventually cross paths with someone that you that you find that you can relate to. Um, I don't know. And if you absolutely 100% hate people, then I, I don't know, be, be a solo game dev and never work with anyone. I get, I don't know. I don't have the best advice. <laughs> the, the, right, so the good news about networking online, especially in things like, um, in things, in things like gig, which is, I highly endorse and I need to talk to guy about actually getting on the show. We, we did, we do some stuff with them around our, our event too. And I try to get on there on Friday afternoons, but I'm generally don't have time and then i'm like there for like 20 minutes and i'm like all right i gotta go but it's it's much easier to escape a conversation online than it is like if you're out at a meeting and you have to awkwardly walk away from whoever you're talking to online you know networking like that in groups you've got more outs. It's easier to get in that way. It's easier to get a little more comfortable because you can, you can just be like, Oh no, internet's down. Click. I'm done. And you, you walk away, but it's, um, it's, it's still something that you've got to find your, your own voice to a, to a certain extent. And unfortunately there's no way to do that other than just doing it. But Div, don't cut yourself short. You're very active on our discord. I know you don't completely hate people. Um, and so when you stepped into this industry and you say you fell into it accidentally, but the reality is about 90% of us did that. Um, why did you decide to freelance versus going and, you know, looking for a full-time gig somewhere or be part of a, a big audio studio or something like that? There are very, very, very few full-time gigs as a composer. Um, as a sound designer, there are significantly more opportunities. I feel like everyone starts out as a freelancer. Um, there are certain things about like my, my personal life and like, my, um, like I have, I have, I have like not 
chronic fatigue per se, but something similar. Uh, I won't get into it too much right now, but like I find that like having flexible hours is really, really, really helpful for like just how I operate. Um, if someone did hire me full time as like to be like an in-house composer, like and I and I wanted to, then I would. But as of now, I think it, I think it's just like de facto most composers are freelance. Um, and once in a blue moon, you'll see a you'll see a job opening for a composer. Um, but I think if if you were like very specifically, I want to do game audio, and I want to work at a studio and like be a full time employee, then like sound design is significantly more secure. Um, but like I, I don't, I definitely prefer writing music over sound design, and I also am fine with freelancing. I like the flexibility of things. Uh, I like being able to set my hours and and having multiple clients and not having to compete like you know and have like non-competitive clauses and whatnot but um i might not be freelance forever but i have been freelance for i wasn't freelance at one point last year um but it is how it is what it is i think so and this is an issue that we see come up with you know freelancers not only freelancers but but you know indie studios as well that that are doing project work at what point in a gig do you start looking and going okay this i'm going to be done with this project in two months or one month or whatever it is i need to find another one how do you how do you pace and how do you measure the outgoing i have to find another you know project versus working on the ones that you have i have never stopped networking that's the thing good answer I, yes i everything is temporary I don't assume that like if you try to find work when you don't have work, you won't have work when you need it. And fun fact, even still, when you are networking constantly, you will have you will have droughts. What is it? Feasts and famine. Mm -hmm. So there are periods where you go through famine. And if you prepare for it, even when you are during a period of time where you have like feasts or even if it's like maybe you're like you have work. You're not overwhelmed with work. Like some people are working on like four games at the same time, writing music for them all or more than four games. And that's like, that's a lot of work. Um, and maybe in a situation like that, you don't need to take time out of your schedule to like find new work per se. But like if you have the flexibility and you're not completely swamped and crunching network as if you are looking for work because you will be soon enough. It might not be now, but like you, you meet people that you need two years from now is usually what I, is what I hear. Like, and, and as a younger me was like, Oh man, like if only I started X years ago, then I would be where I want to be now. But that's just how it is. Like everyone's got to start from somewhere. And like, again, most of the people I meet with, I don't work with and that's fine. But like the ones that I will maybe eventually work with, I met them when they don't need me because like very rarely do you meet someone like, right when they like oh my god i just happened to meet gwen and she i just realized her. i need a composer yesterday and here you are yeah but that that like almost never happens it happened like once ever for me um but for a lot of people are like hey um i'm i'm busy now but like maybe like six months from now i have something down the line that i think you would be a good match for and i'd be like oh i would love to work with you so along those lines, Nightwolf's got a question. How long must you be networking before you can determine who you could work with personally or even be capable of working with 
you know, your reputation wise to form a game dev team, official full-time or by contract, regular freelancers. So, you know, how do you, how do you vet potential clients, you know, to figure out, you know, are you going to enjoy working with them? Is this going to work out or not? Um, so like, how do I, how do I vet clients if they want to work with me? Is, is that what I was asking? How, like, basically how long, what do you do in terms of the early stages of that relationship? How long do you have to work with them before you realize, okay, this is going to work or this isn't going to work? Um, I mean, there's a phrase, there's a saying that's like hire slow, fire fast. Um, same thing works with freelancers where like you are your own boss and your clients are not your boss. They're your clients. You can either way, you can like fire each other if it so needs to. If you don't want to work with them anymore, you can just, you can fire them. You can leave. Um, and likewise, if they don't want to work with you anymore, if you're a jerk or you're just not fitting the project's needs, they can fire you. Um, but typically I go through a process where if someone is is serious about the inquiry of potentially working with me, then I'll go through a process of asking them more about their game, about their studio experience, um, how many members on their team, what are their plans in the future for like, um, are, do they have a publisher? Are they planning on getting a publisher? How do they have funding? I go through a process of like asking people and 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 setting up a call. And that is kind of how it works. But for the most part, like, again, like friends, I think the easiest thing to think of is like friends ask friends for help. And like the person that I asked for help for graphic design was someone I've known since seventh grade, sixth grade, actually. And like, you know, she's a really good friend of mine. That's that's who I thought of first for graphic design. Um, and I think. I would like to think that I'm the first composer that a lot of people think of. Maybe they need me. Maybe they already have someone. I don't know. So if, if I'm already friends with them, I'll still go through a process of like trying to like figure out, but also like maybe since I've known them for a while, I already know a lot of the answers of like, how do they operate? How, how much experience do they have? And just kind of that, that sort of professionalism. Again, and to get back to, you know, constantly be networking because you're going to figure it out. I mean, and, and after there, there's not like a, easy way to do it but a lot of it you just have to go with your gut too it's like okay does this person seem genuine do they seem trustworthy do they seem like somebody i want to be associated with or not uh and this so that will follow up reverse of that how do you network well enough as a freelancer to have a regular client or to even be part of that top contacts team for for anything they need social or professional um that's something you can't really guarantee it's it's a matter of if you have a client that really, really likes what you're working with and they're working on projects that are like thematically very similar. Subsequently, they will maybe ask you again. Um, that's not necessarily a guarantee, but it's a matter of like, are you are you easy to work with? Are you are you good at what you do? Are you um, it, it's just a matter of like, do you make problems go away or do they love what you do? Are you are you somehow like someone that like and even not necessarily like you don't have to be the best of the best, but if, if you're great to work with, like that's one thing that helps. Um, but it's, it also isn't necessarily a thing that will happen. Like sometimes like even like really, really great people don't necessarily have points where they're like constantly have work. Even, even really great freelancers will have periods of time where they are in, in famine. And that's just something that you have to be okay with and, and accept as a freelancer. I think when you get to a certain point, people will come to you and then you get to pick and choose your projects um, based off of what you want to do and who you want to work with. Um, but it's just a matter of like, 
if you want repeat clients, be good and be good to work with. There's more to being professional than, than wearing a suit. And, and, and even if you're wearing a suit, it doesn't mean you're professional in this industry. It just means that you have a suit. <laughs> so part of that getting to the, to the place that you need to be is, or, or the place that you want to be is, is obviously winning awards. And so, you know, that that's helped you, obviously, you know, you could say we, we don't have Chell Wong random music composer. We have Chell Wong award-winning music composer. There's a lot of awards out there and there's a, a lot of ways of promoting yourself. Do you, how do you approach that? Do you actually, do you go out and, and look for competitions that you and your development team that you're working with can get into for exposure? How, I mean, that's a whole aspect of the industry that we rarely ever touch on. You know, how do you approach situations like that and put yourself in a position to win awards along this time? Well, it's funny because uh, that award right there, I didn't know I won it until after I won it. Like, I got a message at like 1.30 a.m. from Gwen, which is like, that's weird. She normally goes about like 11, like a normal person or whatever. And she's like, hey, are you up? I'm, and I'm a, I'm a night person, so I was. And it's just like, this is yours. as a picture of that award. And it's it says uh, best game audio. And I was like, what? Uh, that was specifically, um, she went to Reboot Develop Red. Um, and I guess she entered through that and she, she, she entered like several things. I didn't have any hands on that, but I did, I did enter myself for game audio network or, well, actually I asked my friend Isaac, thanks Isaac for, um, submitting it for me. Cause I wasn't a, um, a member, but, um, that was something that I actively went through. I know that a lot of times indie games at studios will apply to various awards and they will apply for all the things that they think are worth applying for writing, uh, narrative, um, and art and, and audio and stuff like that. Um, but if it's possible to take into your own hands for your specific field, um, for me, game audio, I know that there's the game audio network guild. I don't necessarily know what it is for, for narrative people or for artists. So if you have like a, an overarching kind of group that specializes in that field and they have awards for that specific thing, that's something that you can actively personally pursue. Um, but I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't think I didn't, I didn't win that award. Cause I actively tried to that, that, that literally was like, it was like one, it was like the one thirty AM when I saw that email and I, I was like trying not to like shout and jump with joy. So I was just like, really just what? So, um, but yeah, there, there are smaller things. And also like, um, I'm, 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 I do stuff for Boston Festival of Indie Games, which is what Boston Fig is. And um, we have the Figgy Awards, and there are things for that too. And so, like, I have been part of a team that has been nominated for for games, and and that, and actually, just recently, we opened up uh, audio, which is which is the position I filled. But then, the uh, the festival happened online. I don't necessarily think we had like a official Figgy Awards for that this this past year. Um, but like once it's in person again, like that's a thing that you can go to. And Boston Fig is really, it's really inexpensive to to booth at. Um, and it's a great place to show off your game. And like, hey, that that might be that might be your first award. Bottom line is, is you have to 
be willing to promote yourself and, and, and look out for yourself because at the end of the day, nobody else is going to do it. I mean, occasionally, yeah, in, in your case with, with Gwen and, and a studio, that's a situation, but you can't rely on that. That's what I mean. I don't mean nobody's going to do it for you, but you can't just sit back and, and hope. You do need to like look for these opportunities and it, it, it doesn't matter how small it is. You know, if I go and put on the Western North Carolina Game Awards, I mean, the fact that we only have like six studios around here, who cares? You know, it's 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 something to you won against other people. Unless you're the only one person in the, you know, running for it, then it doesn't really matter. But, you know, a lot of these competitions, it still matters. It's not like, oh, nobody's going to give a shit because it's too small of a venue. Who cares? Get it out there. You know, that 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 still helps and it, it boosts your reputation. Um, so you mentioned something that, you know, we're already like halfway through the show. You mentioned something we were talking earlier that I want to get into. Uh, you said you wanted to talk about why Fiverr was the scourge of the earth. And I was like, well, I could, this could go several different ways. But why is Fiverr, especially for a freelancer, the scourge of the earth? So, as a freelancer, you need okay. to respect the time that it takes not just to write the music and and create the product, but the time it takes to find the work and and basically everything that is in, like you have a you're a business as a freelancer, you are your own business and you have to worry about your own stuff. So, as a freelancer, you need to charge freelancers rates. I think rule of thumb is like 2.5 times the rate of like what an employee would be and a company worth their salt will be like, will be able to respect that. Um, Fiverr. Um, I mean, you can see it through their advertisements. It is a place that, that glorifies crunch culture. It It's like all about like, you need to basically bring yourself to the brink and break yourself in order to succeed. And you don't, you don't. Um, Fiverr is also what I think of as like, it is a place where people who are naive and new to the industry go and just metaphorically die. They go there thinking that's where you get your break and they see these rates and they think, Oh, I need to start lower because I'm less experienced. Um, the worst rate I have ever seen for music was I will write three minutes of music for $10. It does. I don't know how long it takes someone to write three minutes of music, but I will say that like my, my, my starting rate when I was brand new, was $300 per minute of music. And that translates roughly to like minimum wage. Like depending on how long it took me, it could be like, it, it's about it's about minimum wage. And so like people on Fiverr, not as bad as that, but $15 per track is not a sustainable, it's not sustainable. And, um, and basically everyone there become, they accidentally become a bottom feeder where you are just trying to get all of the smallest, most basic, most, painful jobs to work for for nothing for for scraps and you if you're trying to be if you're trying to transition to be like oh i'm i'm working this day job i don't love but i, I dream of becoming a, a game composer that's the fastest way to kill that dream <laughs> you won't find work and if you do find work you'll hate it you'll you'll write something and then the client will probably be like really picky about it and then you have to rewrite it and it's just going to take all the time and meanwhile, like if you treat yourself as a professional, like I, I definitely started out as like someone who like I had a, it's like three hundred dollars per minute. It's like it's a modest rate. It's a pretty 
respectable understanding. And if anyone thinks that that is too much, they are not worth working with. Like part of being a freelancer is like, you have to be able to know that if client is if their client is going to be bad to work with, like that's something that that you can suss out. And if they think that that is too low or that uh, sorry that's too much, that then that's that's not someone you want to work with. So we 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 call it the asshole tax. Yeah, like, and, yeah and, but, and, and people go to Fiverr thinking that like I'm gonna go find the cheapest option for this thing. They don't care about how good it is. They just care that it's cheap. So that's why I hate Fiverr. So, I mean, but this is, I mean, this isn't just with, with musicians, this is across the industry. And, and I think it really goes into why we have this issue with crunch culture anyway. I was telling somebody the other day, it's like, yes, a lot of crunch culture issues, like we see at CD Projekt and Take-Two and, and Activision and all these big studios, it does start at the top. But it's the issue is not solely at the top. The issue is also all the way down to the very bottom where, you know, people are judging each other. It's like, you know, we're both working, you know, entry level QA positions or whatever. And I have a family and I want to go home and I've worked my eight, even 10 hours that day. And the person beside me is like giving me the side eye, like I'm lazy. We have so many people and I see it every time the crunch culture question comes up and they're like, I would do anything to get into this industry. And they have that mentality. And we try so hard to go, you have to respect yourself and your time or no one else does. So when you're at that stage, how do you, I mean, you don't have, you know, three, four, five, six years of games that you, you've done work on. And again, regardless of what it is, you know, art, sound design, music, whatever. How do you get to that first gig that's not going to be soul crushing like you like you said because you're right it, it is so it's absolutely soul crushing how do you get to that first spot without completely selling yourself out finding a first gig is is hard it's it's hard when you have nothing to show for it um i saw someone mention it in, in one of the comments that like they did ludum dare you do game jams and you meet other people and you have worked on a game and the beautiful thing about game jams is that if you do it, if you do it right, you go through an entire production cycle for a game. Um, you have to scope down. You have to figure out what you can do within the the what what is within the lot of time. How much work do you do? How much music? How much sound effects? This is again from an audio perspective, but like this is for for all aspects of game dev. Also, the beautiful thing about game dev is that like, or sorry, beautiful thing about game jams is that you are able to touch other parts of game development that you don't normally do. Like I've done like, what is the equivalent of like directing and producing for a game jam? And I've also done art. It's bad, but <laughs> I've done it. Um, and so that's that's kind of thing. Meeting people through game jams is, is, a, is arguably an even more tangible way of building a connection with people. And I know a lot of people who have worked on game jams with people, and then those people hired them for gigs later. Um, so that's part of a way that like, and game jams are free. You don't get paid to do game jams, but honestly, like sometimes free is better than like $15 for, for a track. Um, because that implies that your compensation is completed. Whereas like free, if you, if you do something like a favor, they, they might want to do a favor back for you. Um, and sometimes those favors pay off and a game jam is just a way where like everyone came together to do this cool thing that they really enjoyed. Um, and then like, Hey, they were really fun to work with that 
you don't necessarily, in a sense, you have proved yourself to be someone that is worth working with in a context that there was no risk. And over also the more game, like you can build a portfolio. You don't have to build a portfolio of only paid work. If you have something that you worked on in a in a game jam, show it off. I have on my website, I show off like my game jams that I'm proud of. So oh, we, we yeah. want to see the ones you're not proud of. That's what we want to do. That's what we I mean, <laughs> there, there, there are things that I'm like, I'm not like not proud of the things that I've done, but there, there are things that are just like not as not as prominent, I would, I suppose. And there's also things that never finished. Like it happens. One of one of my more popular albums is for a game that never actually came out. It was supposed to take a month, and it never finished. Hold on, I'm totally stalking your your website now because I want to see these game jams. But the, the the point of it too is it's the games you didn't finish is still fine. What you want to show is that you have done this. You know what you're doing. Obviously, if the game shipped, it's a little better. But you know, game jam. I think game jams are so underrated and we have global game jam going on like literally right now um i think they started yesterday but that is the, the point of it is you go through all the it was a very good description because you go through all the levels of shipping a game you just do it in like 48 hours versus doing it in you know 24 months or however long you normally send it um so nightwell's got a question uh da, 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 da. For game jams, would they be reliable for setting up freelance wages, you know, content completed and time spent, or would it be corrupted data due to crunch? I think game like so. One thing that's helpful about game jams is that it is it's really helpful for you to finish your own personal work production, like going through the process of for me, writing a song, producing the song, mixing the song, and then if I wrote multiple songs, I master them all. Um that at least just gets you through the process of like getting more used to that of that cycle. And it also is really helpful for making sure that you don't strive for perfection to the point where it is detrimental. Like I, I want all my songs to be good, but there are definitely songs that I am. I just have to get done and you move forward. I think that it is. It how long it takes for me to write a song is is not the biggest factor for my rates. Um, it is a factor, but in general, like if I have to write a song really, really quickly for like a, a client that's paying me, like if it's a, if it's a rush job, I pay, I charge more. Um, but it's not like an exact science for, for rates. It's a matter of what do you think is, is livable is the first thing. Like what is livable? Um, and how, how, how much value do you provide to your client? That's a, that's a thing too. So that's kind of more about the rates than it is about like time. It's it, rates and what you charge as a freelancer, or even in my case, as a consultant is it's very difficult. You know, I've, I've been doing consulting now for 10 years and it's still hard sometimes to go, you know, when, when you talk to a client and you quote them a number and they go, okay, yeah, you're sitting there going shit that I probably could have charged more. But you can't look at it that way. It is a whole lot of guessing, basically. But figuring out, you know, what you need to live to get by is absolutely, you know, the first part. I mean, what works for us, and I'm not familiar enough with all the processes that go into actually composing music that doesn't suck. Um, 
we use something called toggle. And so one of the first things I did years and years ago was I started, I mean, you just put it on your browser or you go to the website and you click and you type what you're doing and it tracks your time. Now one, you have to remember to track your time. But aside from that, it starts to give you an idea of how much time you spend on stuff. And I guarantee you that time is going to be more than you think. It's always and, more. Yeah, it is. And then I, I built this giant spreadsheet that had, okay, we're going to find a publisher for this developer and listed out all the different stuff we had to do in there. And you track your time and then you look at it and you're like, oh my God, this is how much time I spent doing that. Multiply that times minimum wage or whatever you need and you start getting an idea. But I don't think it's something that, you know, what to charge is something that never really, you never really get right. You know, There's it, no it, real standard of it either. It's not, it's, it's absolutely not. And, and, you know, that's another one of those things where if you do a lot of work for, for free and for exposure, you know, that, that, that always skews the data in there somewhere. So aside from, you know, being genuine and, and constantly being, you know, out there, so to speak, what are, some of the ways that you found to network and to, to build a client base that work better than others, you know, do you use, do you, do you use like a CRM like I use or, or how do you keep track of these opportunities? Yeah. I mean, I do have a CRM. Uh, I'm in the process of setting up notion, uh, a notion page for, for that. But in, in a sense, I, I kind of have a, a light CRM. I also have like a, a, um, I use an app called CamCard, and I swear to goodness they should sponsor me because I I promote them so hard because I love the app for the most part. They're, they're, um, but you digitize business cards, and, it, and you can categorize people. And I think of it like a human Pokedex. Um, so if I know people that need opportunities, and if I really like them, that's that's one of the things. I think also like client tracking is is important, um, but it's also a matter of like people will remember you and if you remember them then that's like a bigger thing and it's, it's really helpful to like reach out to people and like keep them refreshing your mind uh part of why i network so much is that i want to be on people's minds i want to be someone that is remembered and that people think about um and you don't have to like believe me you don't have to go nearly as hard as i do i go i do a lot more than i than i theoretically should but i want to because i i actually enjoy it like a weirdo <laughs> But, um, yeah, I, I have client um, tracking and I also just kind of keep fresh with people and, and like follow up and interact with them on social media. And, and if you are if you're a regular person that interacts with them, then that's that's just all the more ways that like people keep in touch and, and remember. And and th that's the biggest thing. Just be someone that people remember for the good reason and not for the bad reason. <laughs> Um, there's a lot and, of reasons you can be remembered, yeah, you know, yeah. there's, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So we got questions, but I want to touch on something you just said. One cam card digitizes business cards. So for those of you out there listening who are, uh, you know, younger than me basically, and say business cards are stupid and no one uses them anymore and you don't need them. Yeah, you do. Um, <laughs> You're good. I, was like, I like business. I actually like business cards. 
You do. I mean, that's just the reality of it. You know, I don't care that you could bump your phone together and get people's contact information. When you're at a conference or you're networking at a big party, you're going to fucking forget who these people are. That's just the reality of it. I've had some amazing conversations with people and they forgot their business cards or they didn't have one or whatever the heck. And I don't know who they were anymore. Yep. Exactly. Sometimes. sometimes. So you get that business yeah. card. I know I've got one around here somewhere. And so on the back of it, you write, I met chell at a bar and he composes music she could i'm sorry she composes music and this is what you do there you go and but people are always like oh business cards are for old people anyway that's not that's not what i wanted to get out what is what is notion um what is notion is a hard thing to describe i first i was first introduced to notion from a client because it was a way of managing their project um and i I mean, like Trello is is another uh, task managing thing, and Jira and, and all all that fun stuff. But uh, Notion is just another one of those programs that you can use as an organizational tool. Um, but I I had a friend that used it for client tracking, uh, for CRM stuff, and so then I was like, hey, I already have Notion installed. I might as well I might as well check it out too. Um, but th there are many tools. There there are many many tools, and that that's not necessarily the only thing that you should look at. Part of that was a selfish question because I only just heard of Notion like this week and I was curious too because I haven't like looked into it yet. Frankly, but, I'm not the best person to ask about it because I, I have not used it to its full extent. So we got a, a question here from, oh, Nick, you said, <laughs> hey, Nick, when I saw Mebbin, I was like, well, how the hell? I know this person. Um, Nick says, I love game jams, but just to play devil's advocate, do you feel that the jams, especially the ones that have a tight deadline, like, like global game jams, set a precedent for crunch for budding developers. That's a that's like a tricky thing because game jams don't inherently promote crunch. It's just how hard do people go for them? Um, I think because people see it like I only have like if, like I only have forty eight hours to make this make this game. Um, I have I have all this stuff that I want to do. The real thing is it's a matter of scope, and I think in a sense crunch is also about scope where it's like. How much work can you do in how much time? And like it being 48 hours is not, it does obviously does not mean that you take the entire 48 hours. And in fact, I think most game jam organizers say, please take breaks, please be healthy. And, and other people might, other people might unfortunately not do that. But like the past few game jams I've worked on, it's a it's like, hey, I, I don't have like a ton of time to like super duper hard commit. I will write a track and I, I can I can help things that I I can help what sort of contribute. I can help contribute in, in different ways, but like I definitely don't go as hard as I when I first started. Um and it's just a matter of knowing your limits. When you're brand new, you don't know said limits and you don't necessarily know as much. And and at the end of the day, it's it's just a game jam. You make of it what you make of it, and how hard you go is is up to you. And I think more often than not, people go harder than they should. But like game jams themselves, I don't think actively promote crunch culture as much as it is how hard people go. And if it is a competitive game jam, then like that might push people to like work harder than they should. But like I don't, they're just game jams. You can't you don't have to be married to your work. And in fact, like I think with that, like you shouldn't be part of it is just it's for fun. Get make a cool thing. It, it It's how you look at it. It's, it's not necessarily how much shit from a giant 
game can you shove into 48 hours of work? It's, you know, what kind of game can you create in that 48 hours? And it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't have to be 48 straight hours. You know, it's, it's, this is the deadline. And that's just like real game dev. You know, you've got to ship that game in nine months. You don't necessarily need to put 15 months of work into nine months, but you need to ship that game. You need to figure out what you can scope and what you can do and learn either the hard way or the easy way that that's what you can do. And chill, seriously, that is like the third different thing of water that you had. You are totally. <laughs> I'm out of water. <laughs> oh, was like I keep hey, pulling out different bottles. It's like, are you two fisting the water over there, or um, drink water? It's important to stay hydrated. Like my coffee has water in it, right? And the mm -hmm. and the beer in the afternoon has water in it. There's, you know, it's there. We're getting a water. lot of questions here. I know. Um, so I'm going to scroll back up. So Kayona says, you know, this is going back to how you're tracking your time and how you learn how long things take. She says, I use Monday and track myself on, on projects there until I get an average to help project how things, you know, take. And that's a good point. You don't necessarily have to do it every single day. You can do it, you know, once a week to get an idea of it. Um, all right, Hito, listen, man, you got to pick a platform and stick to it because you're talking to me on YouTube and you're talking to me on Twitch and you know I'm doing this on my own and, and I'm not this coordinated. So what is your opinion in Upwork? I notice how a lot of really low budget gigs, but sometimes clients offer hourly rates that are kind of respectable. So what is the difference that you've seen between, you know, Upwork and Fiverr? I don't know what Upwork is, but if it's also like Fiverr, then I probably hate it. I, yes, it's just. If it's also like Fiverr, then I probably hate it. So I, I hadn't heard of it. Thank you for introducing me to something I know. <laughs> it's just I a matter of respect your rates, respect yeah. your time, have other people respect your time. Like charging hourly is fine, but as long as the hourly rate isn't paltry. Like I worked at a Costco. If I'm going to charge myself less than working at Costco, then what am I doing with my life? I want to enjoy what I'm doing and I don't have to die. I don't have to be the starving artist. Like, oh my God. Don't you be get, a starving artist. Be a free sample happy artist. You get like the little cheese things and the and the crab meat in the little buckets. There's there's totally perks to being at Costco, you know, every now and then. Oh, uh, Nightwolf says you found with starting out trying standard average freelance wages and having no reputation shut me down fast, and the clients thought I was scamming. Am I allowed to curse? Oh, I, I've been cursing the whole time. Sure, All right, I just want to check. You're the business Yo, card branch. Fuck people who think that you're scamming. They're not worth your time. If you're good at what you do, then you're good at what you do. If you don't have a portfolio, then make a portfolio. If you have nothing that to show for it, then do Game Jam. It's a matter of there's always a step that you can do before this. And if you feel like that this is your way to start in, just don't. God, I hate, I hate, I hate these things that that force you to be a bottom feeder. Don't be a be a happy, healthy individual and don't work. God, also like. A quick side of rant, like when, when I worked at Costco, every single person that I knew there, at least that worked in the front, had another job. I, at the time, had four jobs. And I knew uh, they, if they didn't have two jobs, they were also a student. It's hard. And when things don't compensate you well enough, then you are forced into these positions. And and I have to say that, at least for like for corporations, Costco was all in all not bad. It was pretty fine, actually. And it and actually paid pretty well compared to like other places. Um, but that's, I mean, that, that was still like a, that was still like a physical labor job. I was pushing shopping carts for hours and hours. And like, you don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to pay yourself that low. You just have to 
charge at a rate. And, and sometimes, sometimes clients will be like, oh, they charge more than everyone else. They're really good at what they do. I pay them the money. I don't have to worry about the problem. And, and, and they trust that it's good. Paying yourself really low. Like if you are, if you're going to charge super low, you're going to be, your product is going to be cheaper. And that's the thing. It's not, it's not even a matter. It's, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of if you charge less, then you have to do more to do to survive. And then therefore everything that you work on is going to just be like cheaper and quicker and churned out. And that's just, that's, that's just how it is. But if you are charging yourself, if you're charging high rates and people pay those rates and you work on fewer things and you could take the time to make the thing great. And then you're like, wow, I really enjoy what I do because I'm being compensated well and I can take the time to make it good. And then they're like, wow, this is amazing. This is so good. Thank you for being worth the money. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's all a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more you charge, the better you get, the more time you have to be better. If you charge lower, you have less time to do the product. It gets worse. So, God, one, I love you because this is just absolutely the rant. Yeah. That I do. This is the rant that I do as well. The and so you know, to be fair, Hitoshi's got a point. Now, I know Hitoshi. Hitoshi lives in Peru, and the rates in Peru are lower than the rates here in the U.S. or you know, a lot of other places. And you can get stigmatized by saying, you know, by people looking at it and going, "But wait a minute." You know, that's too cheap. There's no way that's right. You know, this is going to be shit work. The opposite is also true. You know, one, if people don't know where you are, they're not going to do that mental conversion math of going, well, I would pay somebody in Boston this amount of money to do it. So I should pay somebody in Lima this amount to do it. The easy solution, Toshi, is you charge more. And then, because there is, it's, it's like we tell developers, it's like, don't release your game for less than $15, $20, preferably $15 bottom. Because when you release a game full price is like three bucks, you have a large audience that looks at that and goes, well, it's so cheap, it can't be any good. And that's not necessarily true. It just means you didn't price it accordingly. So I get what you're saying. And there is that, that aspect of it that comes in. It's even though you're paying yourself a living wage for what you feel you need to be paid, if you're in a country that the you know, economy isn't as strong, you can get looked down on, but charge more. That, I mean, if, that that's the easy way to do it. If you're in a country where your cost of living is lower and you charge a rate in which for another country, if your client, if your client is in another country and they can afford a higher rate and you charge accordingly to the client, then heck you have, and your cost of living is lower than like you win. That's a win situation. Um, if your clients around you um, in your country can't afford rates of that of another country's, charge accordingly. And if it's still within your reasonable range of like your cost of living, then it works. But like I I don't necessarily I don't think I can necessarily have clients from countries with lower cost of living if they can't afford me. And that's just the case. And and they don't disrespect me for like being too expensive. They're just like, oh, you know, that's just how it is. You know, yeah. we might have to work with people who are more local in a sense because we can afford them and and their rates are going to be on par with you know our 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 budget and our you know like especially you know if it's a country where that's just how the rates are going to be like that's just how it is and that's fine but if you're in a country where the cost of living is lower and you charge a client in another country where their cost is higher then you get more money 
and you don't have to pay as much as as people who live in LA and and they they charge so much because it's so expensive to live there. Yeah, you know, from the person who hires people every now and then to do things, if, you know, you come in and I know that you're in a, in a country like Lima and you're charging me like three times what Shell would charge me and he's in Boston, that's going to raise some eyebrows as well because you better be really damn good. But that's not necessarily a reflection of where you are. It's just it's the price. You know, that's the that's just the reality. And, and you're never going to get it right. Like we said, you know, you're going to be too high. You're going to be too low. That's the thing. It's like no matter where you price yourself, you're gonna price yourself out of the range of somebody, whether they think you're too cheap or they think you're too expensive. So you just gotta go with what you what is fair to you and, and ride that wave. Uh the hash says, I'm not the most communicative person and I work as a freelancer in pixel art. I realize that game jams are an amazing place to do some networking through something more active activity, so to speak. And that's a very good point. You don't necessarily have to rely on just networking and hanging out in places. You're actually doing work and showing people your value. So the question I have for you, Ash, is have you ever thought of live streaming your work while you do it to you know show people how it's done and, and the cool stuff that you do? Me personally? I, I try it once and it stressed me out, but um, I... If other, I mean, a lot of other people, a lot of my friends do it, and like that's great promotion, showing people your process and showing people like what you do and how you do it can be really good promotion. But I'm also a, an absolute goober, and I I can get kind of stressed out when I'm like even within a Discord of like people that I'm working with. I'm like, okay, here's like here's how the song's coming along, here's how it's working. Oh God, I'm like doing the same thing over and over again, or just like futzing about with like do I want to do this chord or like how's this now fit in? And it's gonna be a little nerve wracking. So if it's not for you. Don't don't force a shoe onto a foot that it doesn't fit. Um, but like if you if you like it enough and it works out for you, like there are there are many different ways to promote yourself. That is not one of the ways that I choose to do it for myself, but not really. I might do it again in the future, but it's there there's there's like there are many there are many avenues to take. I think that's that's one way. And I, I personally could show more of my work in general. I um I know a lot of people do that to great success, uh, especially if they don't have the opportunity to network with people as much. I spend more time just talking to people and that's my avenue. I network with people. I get to know people over a longer period of time and like build strong bonds with people. And that doesn't work for everyone. That, that It takes time. It takes energy. And not everyone has like the, the social energy to do that. I don't have the, the, I don't have the energy necessarily to to manage like Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter. And I, I like do my best to do things, but like people are like, oh, should I look into TikTok? If you don't have the energy for it, don't do it. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a very good question. And, and one, I will say you're dead on with the, with the energy thing. Even myself, and I'm fairly extroverted. I mean, everybody knows I don't have a problem speaking my mind publicly. But at the end of a conference, even a digital conference, when I have to be you know, quote unquote on and in meetings all day long, it will absolutely, it, I'm exhausted at night. And it's like, all I have to, as my son says, dad, all you do is push buttons. Why is it that hard? And they're like, yeah, because pushing hey. buttons. I know he's harsh. Oh my God, he's harsh. <laughs> it's like, what does your dad do? Ah, uh, he sits in his, in his office and pushes buttons. It's like, yeah, that's exactly it. But you know, you are, you are mentally exhausted at the end of the day. These things do take energy. Uh, all right, so we 
we are at the hour mark, and so we still have some stuff coming in. And you know, I want to respect Chell's time here because you know she'll she'll charge me way more if I don't. You know, the um, uh, the good news is uh, Kiona has created for you an entirely bigger list of things that you can hate, Chell. So there's Upwork, there's 99 Designs, Guru, Top Total, People Per Hour, Freelancer, True Lancer, and Outsourcely. There you go. There's your list of all this other stuff that you can hate today because, you know, we all need that in, in life. The You talk about having the, the, the energy to do social media. There's all these different platforms. I don't even understand TikTok. I'm old. What have you found as a freelancer? Which ones work and which ones don't? Um, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I will say that like Facebook is the worst, probably. Uh, at least because like finding, I just think that the the people on Facebook are are just not the kind of people that I want to work with. Uh, Twitter is where a lot of game devs are. I personally like it. I think it's really easy and, and free to use. And like again. I'm a goober. I will tweet dumb stuff. The best tweet I ever wrote was ostriches are 85% butt and 15% noodle. I wrote that at 4 a.m. And I was like, yo. That's not entirely wrong. It's not. <laughs> it's brilliant. And I'm and I'm and it's like this the I, I tell people if I ever reach 10,000 followers, I'll pin that as my tweet. Uh, I'll have that as my pin tweet. Um other people use Instagram and they and they like it and it, it's it's it operates very differently. I find it very user hostile and like, it's not, it's not easy to interact with. Um, but also like my friend says like, Oh, the people there are so much nicer and it's, and it's just a lot easier and like higher quality people. And like, it's not for me. I do. I use it sometimes when it's, when it's easy enough, but sometimes I just don't have the energy and like, what do you, it. I mean, this is what I don't get about Instagram because it's like, we have an Instagram account and it makes sense for indie game business because we do things. I mean, we don't put, I think we have like four posts there and I keep forgetting, you know, Kiona is, is actually handles our social media and she doesn't even have access to it because I keep forgetting to give her access to it. Um, it makes sense for us on the indie game business side because it's like we can link to videos and if we have visual shit that we can show. Oh, yeah. For a business consultant, yeah. what the hell am I going to put on Instagram? I don't even, I have no idea. What do you, you know, to promote a yourself as a game composer what do you what kind of stuff do you put on instagram um sometimes i post videos of my of my music um i will actually post something maybe tomorrow for a game that just um we had a little game that launched today and it was made with everyone through gig well not everyone through gig but everyone congratulations thank you um and so um i will i will put a video there it's just I just I just find it so difficult to use. Um, LinkedIn is I find LinkedIn easier. It's 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 it feels more sterile, but like that's fine. Like it, LinkedIn is like my cleanest platform with the least shit posting. And some people some people use Instagram like how I use Twitter, where it's just free and loose. And like sometimes I'll like upload pictures of myself where I'm like I feel like I look nice and like I'm pretty now. I it's it's nice being happy with how you look opposed to me like three years ago, but. It's just a if it if it costs you more energy than you think it's worth, then don't bother. That's where I'm at. If you feel like it is of enough value to chase after and it's not costing you enough energy, like Twitter doesn't cost me much energy to use, except for when it's like 
I mean, now there's some crazy stuff going on now. Where it's just like, oh my god, stonks. Oh yeah, am I rich yet? Hold on a second. Let me let me check. Oh, did you yeah. did you? Y'all in the... need to buy more Doji coin. That's what I'm saying. I don't. Oh. If I all right, if talking about investing is a whole nother thing. Like I don't even dare try and chase trends and like. You know, like I think about like, oh man, if I did the meme like X years ago or like X days ago, even like sure, whatever. But like, I wouldn't have had the energy to chase after it back then. I don't have the energy to deal with it now. If I try and chase it now, then I'll try and chase other things in the future. I just do the safe, boring, slow investing and like put the stocks in, do the do the index funds, do the whatever safe, safe, safe stuff, and don't touch it for like forty years. <laughs> That's, I mean, yeah. So I mean, I have that. But then this Reddit drama has been so hilarious that I was like, all right, I'm going to take an, an amount of money that my wife and I are comfortable with just like going, look, if it, if it goes up in a ball of flame, it goes up in a ball of flame. Yeah. If you yeah. want to spend like. That's it. If and you go to a casino and you. Put it's the same in, thing. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It. That's fine. That's fine. I yes. just can't. I can't be bothered to do that. And I don't find it fun. I find it draining. A friend of mine put in 15 bucks into Dogecoin and now it's worth. A lot more than that, and he's like, "Hey, I mean, like, I'll I'll wait if it goes even higher than cool, and if it crashes and burns, like, it was fifteen bucks. I'm like, that totally is like, less than a week ago or two weeks ago. It is now no longer what it was <laughs> because mine went up and doubled the other night, and now it's back to where it was. Anyway, not not the not the question at hand, but I am going to take a complete right turn and take this conversation off the rails, but it's based on something you said. Sure. And you said, sometimes I post on Instagram because I think I look pretty. And that oh. is a very, <laughs> very important thing. We're not going to offices anymore. We don't, you know, have to look presentable. We don't have to shower. We highly encourage everyone to do it. But Please shower. There's, <laughs> there's a part of our, no matter how unvain we think we are, and if we, we may be, there is a link between you know, feeling like you look nice and feeling confident in yourself. And we work in an industry as well where, you know, we don't roll into conferences in Italian suits and, you know, cocktail dresses. I was picking up Nika the other day when Nika Dorma, she was on here and she said she had a situation in DC one time where they had to her roommate had to throw the cocktail dress out their window and she caught it at the street. And I was like, I want to see the diagram of, you know, people in the industry who are both in the industry and own a cocktail dress, because I don't think that there's that many people. I worked with a studio years ago and oh, one of the definitely. associate producers shows up to GDC. And the first time I see her, she's like in a full blown dress and high heels. And I'm like, are you Working. nuts while well, you're going to walk this conference in heels? And she's like, I don't ever get to dress up. I wanted to dress up. And I'll, you know, fair enough. That I is work actually, it. that's it. And so, you know, there is absolutely something to be said of, you know, if you feel pretty interior or exterior, post that shit. And if somebody says, you know, you don't fuck them, you know, whatever, but you, you can't, neglect your own it goes back to that to, to everybody's mental health you know you have to be able to you know reinforce these things right now that we can't really do it's like i can't get dressed up you know why am i in a sweatshirt all the time well because it's cold outside and i have to go you know outside to get to my office and so i'm in a sweatshirt in the winter but yeah it's um i think that that, that was just a very important thing i wanted to pull out of there it's like yes you know 
if you have the, one of those days when you feel, you feel pretty, fuck it, take pictures and tell people because that's that's a good thing. Um, have we got anything? Oh, wait, hang on a second. Mike will have another one. What do you think about trying to network on Reddit? Sharing portfolios and... <laughs> I didn't even get all through that question. Shell has obviously the same, you know, experience on Reddit that I do. Um, sharing portfolio and trying to see if you can get things to work, either find angels, neutrals, or selling souls to devils. I find that Reddit culture is bizarre. And for some reason, for some reason, Reddit despises self-promotion. Mm-hmm. I don't know how anyone can thrive on there exclusively. Like if you, if you are someone I'm like, Hey, I'm going to host my own shit or whatever. on like my own sub, like on my own Reddit. Like, I don't know enough about Reddit, nor have I ever tried to care because every time I've like briefly, I have friends who are really into Reddit and they think they know. Sometimes I think they know more about game development than me. And yes, I don't do uh, like, maybe it's like, a, I don't do like the, the real game development, which is BS, but like, I had, a, I had a friend say something about how they should have like some game should have just rebuilt its entire engine instead of make DLC so that it could have been multiplayer instead. And I just like, I was so mad. Redditors. There's one of those like random ones like that. It's like, well, why did you do this? It's like, um, because you obviously have no idea how much that. Tech. Why don't you just rebuild the engine for multiplayer instead of make DLC? It's not the same. You they don't scope the same. But uh, obviously, Ugh, I, multiplayer is so much work. I, I um, I have yet to figure out Reddit. I love lurking there and you know watching the videos of, of like you know what's wrong with your dog and and things like that because I have a dog and they're hilarious. But even when I've tried to post stuff from this channel, I'm like, hey, look, we did a talk on blah blah blah. Here's some info, and it's, people like jump over. It's like, oh, quit self promoting. I'm like. I'm just trying to help you. It's like we we don't make a ton of money on this podcast, for God's sakes. I think we made a hundred dollars last year on it. Um, but it is. I don't really. <laughs> it's like the other side of that is somebody pays a hundred dollars. Um, it, it's it's a different beast. And then props to people that that do it well and understand the nuances. But yeah, I'm with you, Shell. I don't I don't understand it either. I lo- I, I hang out there, but I stopped posting there. Each social media has their own culture, and I don't get Reddit's. Mm-hmm. It's funny because my sister and I have like opposite. Like I, I still keep it with Facebook, not as much as I used to. And Twitter is like my main thing now. My sister uses Reddit and Tumblr, and it's just kind of interesting how like the flow of information works on both of these platforms. Like, oh, have you seen this thing? I'm like, yeah, I saw that like a week ago. And then she's like, do you know this meme? I'm like what what is this meme and she's like you've never seen this i'm like no what is this um but it's just it's just interesting how like the overlap and or like lack thereof sometimes is and again if it if it's something that you can interface with and it doesn't cost you emotional energy points like it does for me then like do it but if it if it i mean like if it does then like i hate reddit yeah you don't have to be on every single platform I mean, God. you're better off being on one and, and being good at it than you are trying to be on five and, you know, nearly survive. Uh, Kayona says her first Reddit account has a, you know, negative. Minus 90? That, next, we're going to get into what did you post? That oh, <laughs> yeah, like, and also, like, 
focusing on the things that you feel most comfortable with. like twitter i have literally i think like almost a hundred times more followers and people on on twitter than on instagram most people's uh in general i think twitter tends to just not have as big of a as a of a of a user base maybe i don't know but like it's instagram is so weird i don't i don't get it but like twitter i i just say dumb shit and then people are like i agree and I'll be like, yes, thank you. Um, ostriches are eighty percent butt. Yes, eighty-five percent butt and fifteen percent noodle. Like that's I can tweet stuff like that. I spent I, I spent a night with a bunch of sound designers the other night, and we just all tweeted at the same time this one plugin by Fab Filter called Timeless Two. We just all tweeted it, and then a bunch of people who weren't even in the call were like, Timeless Two, and then there were just a bunch of dumb memes that came out of this one plugin that I don't even think people really use. Like FabFilter makes incredible plugins, and Timeless Two is not one of the ones that people think of. This is dumb shit sometimes, and just embrace it. It's life. It's it's friendship. It's memes. It's weird. To, I don't know. That's just how I treat social media. And if you want to be if you want to be really clean and operate really cleanly, go for it. I don't, because as you can as as I've slowly broken out of my shell over this podcast, and it's just like fucking do whatever. Just make friends. Live life. Life is short. Now that you're out of your shell, we'll do another hour, like in a couple of weeks. <laughs> we can we can really deep dive into the the internet and fuck Fiverr and all these other things. Oh, uh, but I mean, dude, we've taken so much of your time. I really appreciate you coming on and being blunt and being honest. In <laughs> now, now Karen is admitting that she used to be a troll before she got into social media management. Ah. <laughs> is that why you have minus ninety karma? Yes, yes. Or are you in social media management because you are a troll? That that's it. That's so. All right, Internet. Figure out what her first name was so we can figure out what she posted because now we're all curious. There we go. Um, thank you so much. Uh, Chell is actually go going to be one of our speakers. She's going to put together a panel at um, at our next conference that you know we haven't figured out yet, but you know now that we've said it live, she's totally you know going to do that and. Um, always you can find her you can find me some days over at gig um check it out because it is really really cool we'll, we'll get guy on here as well um, oh yeah that'd be great uh can i do guy. another stream of raft it's been like years it's, it's been like two years since i did an actual honesty god game stream um because i'm not good at it but anyway Thank you so much uh everybody we will be back next week with a guest that i don't have handy but we'll be here. Uh, if you haven't had a chance, go to indiegame.business. You can find all the podcasts, all our videos, all the sessions for all of our conferences because we don't have our shit in vaults. It's free. You can watch it. It's all good. You can learn. Uh, we do have master classes now, which aren't free, but they're affordable. And we, if you buy a pass to one, we're going to give a pass to a developer who wouldn't be able to afford one anyway. So you can learn and do good for the world as well. All of that is over at IndieGame.Business. Thank you, everybody. And we'll be back next week. Yeah, if you want more of me, I'm at Chellong Audio everywhere. So. Yeah, see, Dan. Dan's coming back soon. He's not back yet. And so uh, he's the one that always remembers to do that. I completely hey. that. Sorry. All right, anyway, now we're gone. Bye, everybody. <laughs> I have to pee so bad. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.